Hello church, my name is Catherine and today I get to read the Bible and it was a really good prompt to bring my Bible because I've been wanting to do that um, because I sit next to Susan, she's got hers and it's really good to have, have your Bible. So today we're reading from Ephesians 4, chapter 1, no, chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave us, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for good works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the, of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Well, good morning again, everybody. Thank you, Catherine, for reading for us. Ephesians chapter 4. Please do have that open. If you did bring a Bible like Catherine and Suzanne, that's a wonderful thing. That's good to have the paper version. If not, um, you've got the, the phone version with you, I imagine. If you're a ferocious flicker of the Bible then this is the kind of sermon for that. If not, just keep open to Ephesians 4 uh, and we'll get there. All the other verses will be on, on the screen. But before we do get to that ferocious flicking, now we will, um, let me pray. For me, for, for us, as we approach God's word together. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's come down to us. Uh, we thank you that it contains all the truth. It reveals who you are, who you've made us to be, your plan for this world, what it means for us to be your disciples uh, on this earth until Jesus returns again. So, Father, I pray for all of us in this room, across the screen, that you will help us to engage with what it is that you are saying through your scriptures, that I will speak your truth, that you will speak clearly through me, and that you will build us up into the likeness of Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with this question for you. Whose job is it to grow your faith? 
So if you're a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, you can still try to answer this question, I suppose, but whose job is it to grow your faith? Now, we're, we all know we're encouraged to grow, right? We're encouraged to mature in our faith. But, but whose job is it? What, what is it that comes to your mind as, as I ask you that question? Is it your job? Is it your job to grow your faith? Is it my job? I'm the, I'm the pastor, I'm the one up here preaching. Is it my job to grow your faith? Maybe is it some other like ministry leader, mentor, home group leader? Is it the people that write Christian books? Who, who is it that is responsible to grow your faith? Now, I think I kind of like dropped off a couple of potentials there. You might have had some others. I think it kind of comes down into these three categories. We might think of it in terms of ourselves, so us. We are responsible to grow our faith. We might think about God. If you didn't think about God before, you're like, oh, yeah, of course, that's, that's a bit of a given. God grows us in our faith. Or it's us, the church. In some way, another Christian invests, grows our faith. Now, in many kind of ways, it's a combination of these things. However, I think the way that we would answer that question depends a lot on uh, the culture that we live in or the culture that we've uh, grown up in. Now, some cultures around the world are quite uh, what we might call collectivist or in individualistic. So cultures that are very concerned with the we, community kind of things, or cultures that are concerned with uh, the individual. There'll be a slide on the screen that shows just like a, a bit of a map. This is so in the top left-hand corner, the darker colors are typically countries which are a bit more individualistic compared to the lighter countries which are a bit more collectivist. Now, this is a huge generalization, of course. Everyone's an individual. But if you come from a country like Australia, uh, where we are, which is typical of like a Western country, we are mostly individualistic. Now, this is not a sermon to kind of dissect or make a comment about that good, bad, and different, whatever it may be. But when it comes to that question, whose responsibility is to grow your faith? We would typically answer with me, us, because that's just the, 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 the culture that, that we live in. Now, it's not to say we don't care about the other two things, God or other people, but we're pretty on board with the fact that, that we have responsibility to grow. We, we get that. That's true. Uh, that's the case in the Bible. But we probably overemphasize that. We might go, oh, 90% me, 10% others. We, we perhaps too strongly emphasize the individualistic aspect. Now, what we want to explore today is I don't want to downplay that. don't want to downplay the personal responsibility that we have and certainly don't want to ignore the responsibility and, and the power that God has to transform us. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the one who, who makes us grow. Those things are true and necessary. But today we want to explore that we have a responsibility and an unwavering commitment to one another. An unwavering commitment as the church to one another to see each other grow. And so we're going to explore why that's the case and how we go about uh, growing together, uh, together in growing Christ-like disciples. Now before we get there, it's probably helpful to kind of paint the picture. What is a disciple? What is a disciple? In the, in the Bible, we see it a lot, especially in the New Testament. It's kind of a bit more of an ancient word now uh, than something that's a bit more modern. It's very much a church word. In a sense, it just means someone who's a follower 
of someone else, someone who follows in their ways, who learns from them. In more modern ways, we would say like an apprentice. So like a carpenter or an electrician, they have an apprentice, and that apprentice uh, learns from the master, follows in their ways, uh, continues after them, and it ends up being a bit, not quite a copy, but in the likeness of uh, who was teaching them. And so a disciple of Jesus is like an apprentice of Jesus. Jesus is their Lord. They follow in his ways, live out his, his teachings. And one of the real central things that Jesus modeled in his life, and then as he taught to other people, and then as we see in the very final words of the Gospel of Matthew, is that he calls us to go and make disciples, the Great Commission. I'll read to you Matthew 28, verses 18 through to 20, which is the end. So this is the end of Jesus' ministry, his life here on earth. He's died, he's rose again, he's just about to ascend. And these are his final words to his disciples, and therefore to all disciples that follow. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, this is Jesus, therefore go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This, this function of a disciple to go and make disciples is a key expression of our, our identity. It doesn't define our identity, but it's a, it is the key expression of who we are as a disciple of Jesus, that we go and make disciples. Now, Jesus, he's put it down to two categories. He speaks about go and baptize them, which is another way of saying, like, evangelize, bring them into the faith. And then the second thing is teaching them to obey. So as they've come to, to know Jesus, and, and beforehand too, teach them to, to grow, help them to grow in what it means to become like Jesus, like his apprentice. And so that's what a disciple does. That's what we are called to do. We are called to be disciples who make disciples. We are always, always in the business of trying to bring people to faith and growing others in faith. In whatever different gifts, capacities, experience that we have, this is the key function of who we are. Is this how you think of what a disciple is? Like, are you a disciple who is contributing to what it means to go and continue to make disciples, continuing uh, to grow the church? How are you contributing to that process? Now, in terms of those two things, uh, Ange, two weeks ago, took us through together in proclaiming the gospel, like very much kind of the first part of uh, the Great Commission, go and, and baptize and t- evangelize, bring people into the kingdom. So if you want to look at that, certainly encourage you. Two weeks ago, uh, have a look at what Ange took us through there. Today, we're much more focused on the second part, growing disciples, what it looks like for people to grow into, uh, into Christ-likeness. And that is what we're seeking to grow people into, right? We're seeking to grow people into the likeness of Christ. That's what he's called us to. Many of you are familiar with the saying, uh, or the acronym WWJD, what would Jesus do? Very helpful saying. Uh, a perhaps even slightly more helpful thing to say on top of that is what would Jesus do if he were you? So what would Jesus do if he, if he were you? 
Like with your experience, your gifts, your wisdom, all you have, how would Jesus respond in the scenario that you were in? What would he be doing? How would he be acting? How would he be behaving, be thinking, bringing glory to God, loving others? What would his response be in the situation that you were in? That's what it looks like to be Christ-like if we're doing that. Now, the phrase being Christ-like doesn't directly appear in the Bible. If you're like trying to look for it, do a word search, you're probably not going to find Christ-like in there. But it is just teeming with this idea, this concept of what it means to be Christ-like. Uh, we just give it that word. Kind of like we say Trinity. You know, God, three in one. We don't see the word, but we see it everywhere. Um, that's the same idea with Christ-likeness. But I want to take you to a couple of verses which really highlight what this looks like super clear um, for us. The first one is that we walk in step with the Spirit. This is what it means to be Christ-like, that we walk in step with the Spirit. And the most clearest example of that is in Galatians chapter 5. And I'll just read a little bit for you uh, from there. It's on the screen as well, uh, from verse 16. Paul has been going on talking about lots of really helpful things and now talking about the role of the Spirit in our life. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Spirit being the third person of the Trinity, the, the Holy Spirit. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with one another, uh, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But you are led by the Spirit. This is what it means for us to, to be Christ-like. We are led uh, by the Spirit. Paul then goes on in the next couple of verses to describe what it looks like to live according to the flesh. So if you're without the Spirit, just living um, like against God, if you like, or according to our natural uh, ungodly desires. And then he goes on to say what the fruits of the Spirit are. Perhaps you might know this one off by heart. You can say it in your head or out loud, I guess, if you like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is Christ-likeness. Just like an apple tree produces apples, a person who's walking in step with the Spirit produces Christ-likeness, produces the fruits of the Spirit. Now, these are things, like this is just a, a lovely list in a sense. It's not exhaustive, but it's a wonderful overview. And you notice it's not prescribed to a particular time. It's not prescribed to a particular activity that we do. This pervades all of our life, the sacred, the secular, at home, at work, with our friends, when we invite people over to our home. In all areas of our life, we're seeking to walk in step with the Spirit, to grow into Christ's likeness. And then this brings us to, to the next verse, which I think is really helpful. Because we know we don't always walk in, uh, in step with the Spirit, do we? It's a bit like... Um, when you do a three-legged race with someone for the first time. You know when you do a three-legged race and you kind of you get there and you, you stumble over a bit and you get in a rhythm and you keep going and then you stumble a bit and you're like, you know, you're doing it together. You're united, but it's a bit, it's a bit clunky. You need to grow. You need to learn to, to, to come alongside one another. And you get better as you go along. It is similar when it comes to what it means to walk in step with the Spirit. Except the Spirit is never letting us down. He is always perfect, always guiding us uh, along. 
there's this thing that we need to grow into likeness of Christ. We're in him, but we need to grow. And I think Paul captures that uh, so wonderfully in Colossians uh, chapter 1. At the end of chapter 1, he talks about this need to grow into maturity. He says this. He's talking about Christ, and he says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing, which is kind of like warning, and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is the picture of Paul. He is laboring. He's contending. He is strenuously going about with all the energy Christ has given in him to try to see others mature, to see us grow. It's not a given that we're into the likeness of Christ straight away. We grow into the likeness of Christ. Now, I personally have a real affection for this verse. Uh, in the back end of college, my kind of final thing is you do this capstone project, and I looked into this concept of maturity. Um, not going into the detail, but it became so clear to me that this is kind of like a mission statement of Paul. As he goes about his business, this is what he is trying to do, trying to bring people into the family of God and then see them grow, contribute to their growth so he can present them fully mature in Christ. That's his heart. That's his intention. And so as I stepped into being a pastor like two months later, I hope that is what I can be about. I want that to be my mission and contribution. However, for Paul and for the New Testament writers, growing into maturity is not just a solo task. And it's certainly not just a task of the pastor. Christians are united and brought into a discipleship community. Discipleship, growing into the likeness of Christ, is a team effort. It's a team game. We grow one another. And in Colossians, Paul then, he, he says that so clearly. Right there, he's talking about his role. You flick over two more chapters into uh, chapter 3. In verse 16, he says, Let the message of Christ dwell amongst you richly as you teach and admonish one another. So that's collective. That's the plural version of you there. We can't see it in English. But all of you amongst one another teach and admonish one another through all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. This is not just a self-talk thing. This is not just you pump yourself up so you grow. It's you teach, you invest, you love, you serve one another so that we grow, so the other grows. And that other person will be doing it for you. And there's like this beautiful chain and community of all this happening. And then another writer in Hebrews, and kind of the classic verse that we've gone to, not for centuries, but particularly in COVID, in, in chapter 10, verse 24, he says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Perhaps I'm laboring the point here, but growing as Christ-like disciples is a community thing. It's a one another thing, continuing to love and good deeds, keeping on walk, keeping in step with the Spirit, being Christ-like. That's about meeting together, spurring one another on so we continue to grow. We need each other in order to grow into the likeness of Christ. And that's just not a modern thing. That's not just something that's come out of COVID. This is the thing of the church for the last 2,000 years. Transformation into Christ-likeness has been the aim and the responsibility. 
It is the responsibility of the church. Friends, there can be no such thing as solo discipleship. It it doesn't exist. It's like a flying submarine or a wet fire. (laughs) Thank you, Sue. That solo and discipleship do not go together. It's not a solo effort. We can't do it by ourselves. It's not self-help. Friends, we cannot be isolated as Christians. We must. We need. We're encouraged. It's actually a beautiful thing to invest in one another, to see each other grow. We need to give and we need to receive. We need to be engaged and intentional to seek others um, to grow and also to be humble and gracious to let others grow us, to help them knock off the rough edges, to see them encourage us and to see how we can uh, grow more into likeness of Christ. We can't persevere. We can't do it on our own. We need each other. That is how God has set up the church. He's given us one another. You're here. You're with one another. We need to continue to cultivate uh, that kind of community as we continue to be disciples of Jesus. And then that brings us to the Ephesians passage because it's kind of the most clear and really beautiful image of the fact that, yeah, we are individually united to Christ, but then we're part of this community. We are united together. And so when you have a look at Ephesians uh, chapter 4, if you know about the kind of layout of the letter of Ephesians, it's kind of a game of two halves. There's uh, chapters 1 through to 3, and then chapters 4 through to 6. And chapters 1 through to 3 are very much about our identity. Paul unpacks that in beautiful language, uh, how we are in Christ and God's amazing wise plan, grand plan for the church. Very much centered on doctrine. Then you get to chapters 4 to 6, and then it's like, okay, let's go live that out. It's the ethics, the lifestyle of what the church is like when we live out this identity. And so we're not going to do like a real deep dive into this passage, um, but I want to highlight the fact that this this is what what Paul and therefore God is calling us to do. As you see in verse 1 here, he says, I urge you, again, that's a plural version of you, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And as we look through, perhaps as Catherine was reading it before, you got this idea that, that Paul is kind of giving out a bit of the principle for growth. What are the principles for how churches grow, for how individuals amongst one another grow? And his principle is that we are unified in ministry for maturity. It's unity in ministry for maturity. That's what he goes on about in these first 16 verses. Firstly, to unity. If you have a look in your Bibles there, the verse, verses 2 through to 6, it just screams we are together. Now, we've explored a lot of this throughout the Together series, so we won't uh, labor the point again, but we are united with one another. The church kind of mantra is we are gods, we are the church, we are united. That is kind of who we are. Through the mess, through the heartache, through the, through the pain, through the joy of community, we are to be united. We're not always going to agree, but we're seeking to be united with one another and continue uh, to strive forward together. Unity is the trademark of the church. And then Paul then goes on to ministry. Talks about the way that we serve one another, the way that we're gifted in order to see the church grow. 
When you have a look through verses uh, 7 through to about 12, uh, he explains that. In verses 7 and 8, it's saying how Christ has given gifts to his people. It's a, a grace of God. He gives gifts. And then he goes on to some particular things in verse 12 where he says, uh, verse 11, sorry. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, there's a whole sermon just in, the, in those verses together. But the premise is the whole church is at work. It's a big, it's a team thing. It's all of us. Those kind of five groups of, of, of people who are given particular roles, their role in itself is what? In verse 12, to equip his people for works of service. So I'm kind of, in this moment, I'm functioning as the pastor teacher. That's what I'm doing. But one of the primary purposes of when we come to do a sermon is to equip us, to equip us to grow, to equip us to then go out and serve, to equip us to then to do the ministry which God has called us to do. Take, and then as we go about that ministry, it's kind of like, a, like an F1 team. Has anyone watched that F1 drive to survive? A few people, yes. I'm getting a lot of confidence from the front here, loving it. Um, but in, in an F1 team, you can see on the screen there, there's one driver that drives around and gets all the glory in a way. But that's not actually F1 at all. There is hundreds of people that contribute to this one car flying around the same track. Just in that image there, you've got 21 people who go for just a couple of seconds to change some tires and put in some fuel. 21 people all have something very different to do that all contribute to the same task. All individual, diverse, unified, achieving the goal. Now, we're not an F1 team. We are the church. We all have different gifts and abilities that go in order to see the ministry advance, to see God be glorified, to live out the calling to which God has given us. And then as Paul goes on to say, to grow in maturity. Because that's what Paul goes to next. Let me read to you again verses 13 through to 16. So with all this ministry, its purpose is until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Mature is another word to say Christ-like, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we won't be infants, we're not going to be tossed backwards and forwards by the wind, blown here and there by all the fancy teaching and craftiness of people. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body is, is joined and held together by its all its supporting ligaments, grows and builds itself up in love as each part, as each does its part. As we strive to be unified, as we seek to do ministry and all the things that we're called to do, the goal in this passage is maturity. The goal is that we grow. And then as we grow, we then live out all the beautiful things that God has called us to do. We bring glory to God. We see others be loved we, because we're being Christ-like. As we grow into likeness of Christ, we live out Christ in all the different aspects of our life. Whatever we have been given, whatever gifts, whatever experiences, whatever capacity we have, we go about it seeing each other to mature, to grow towards the full measure of Christ, contributing to the ministry. And a church who is following this, 
who is unified, who's unified in ministry, it will grow in maturity. And we will see more and more people come into the likeness of Christ, both who don't know him yet and those of us who've known him for a long time, continuing to grow. So what all that means is it asks us, who are we investing in? Who are you investing in? Because we all need to do our bit. We're all caught in whatever capacity we have, whatever kind of passions, whatever joy, whatever ability you have to contribute to someone else. That is what we're called to do. We're not called to be judgmental. We're not like asking each other to kind of fix each other up. We're calling to bring one another to Christ, to bring each other to his word, to teach, encourage, build one another up. Now, there's obviously kind of the formal ministries that we, we do in whatever capacity that, that may be, in the, in the welcoming team, in the worship team, home group leading, and the kids, the youth, all kind of the different capacities, computer group, craft, all wonderful things that we do to contribute to others. But one of the, the primary things that Paul is calling us to do here is just amongst conversation, just amongst one another and the things that we do in our, in our life. And a primary example of that that we do together is home groups. Like home groups is one of the most fantastic places where we are going to contribute to our, one another's growth as Christ-like disciples. There's heaps of purposes to home group, which is good and wonderful, but one of the purposes is that we grow. Because I think sometimes I notice it within myself and people that I've been in home group with and chatting with one another, is we can subconsciously have this attitude that we just personally grow in the presence of one another. We're focused on ourselves in the presence of others. Like just going to the shop to pick up the things that we can get or like going to a gym where you just got your own routine. You may say hello to people, you lift your weights, but it's really about your own personal thing. Home groups, church, we do grow. Yes, we as individuals grow, but we are seeking to see others become into the likeness of Christ and they are seeking us to do the same. So when, when we go to home group, let that be one of your intentions. How can you contribute? How can you give? Not just what you can get. And you will get because other people will give to you. So be intentional about how you can seek to grow others. There's also the, the one-to-one kind of discipleship things. For myself, and I know for, for many of you who I've spoken to, when you have a mentor, someone you walk beside, someone who's older and someone who's younger, a peer-to-peer, that is one of the most formative ways that we can seek to grow each other. And I say with confidence that I wouldn't be in this position without some people who have directly invested into my life. Specific people who have sowed into me, brought me uh, to Christ and seen me grow. So let me encourage you. Who is it that you could get beside? Maybe so that you can be grown, but also so that you can grow another person. And in addition to that, there's all those kind of social, informal things that we do together. They have a bit of structure around them at, at sometimes, like playtime or craft, um, when we do computer group, th- those kind of things. They're good things that, uh, that we can do. But it's also, it's the, it's the chats out in the playground after the church. It's chats out in the hall. It's when you bring people over to your house. It's just the, the conversations, the time that we're with one another. These are wonderful times to invest. Like, don't just save the talking about God stuff to home group or the specific time that you meet with one another. Slowly grow to just let it be a natural part of our conversation. How are you going in your faith? What's been a struggle for you? Were you seeing God at work? How is it that you've 
you know, experience joy in your relationship with God. Just the natural things. Man, what Matt said there, I was so confused at that point. Did you have any idea what he was talking about? You know, th- that kind of thing. Just seeing each other, just explore what it looks like for us to invest in one another's faith. And then it'll grow to be natural and, and normal and a part of who we are as, as the people of God. Friends, we are together in growing Christ-like disciples. We cannot do it on our own. If we are Christians, then we are disciples who make disciples and we need to be people that are seeking others to grow. That is our aim. That is indeed our responsibility. And if someone isn't growing amongst our community, yes, there is some personal responsibility there, but it also reflects on us. It reflects on the church. Because this is how God has set up the church, how he set us up, so that we teach, encourage, build one another up. So please be intentional about how we're investing in one another and growing each other's faith. And then amongst all that, I know, and I said I wouldn't talk about it, but we have to remember that it's God is the one who brings the growth. Amongst all the labor and the tool and the, the toil and the striving, God is the one who seeks us to grow. He is the one who actually enables that to happen. To see us, the Holy Spirit is the one who grows us into the likeness of Christ. So always be in prayer and always seeking his leading that we can continue to be in step with the Spirit as we seek one another to grow. So in that light, I'm going to pray for us. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you that you enable us to be your disciples, that you've called us to yourself and then called us to be the church, and that in your wisdom... You've given us the Holy Spirit who grows us into likeness of Christ. But then you've called us, you've allowed us, you've given us the blessing of sowing into one another's lives, of having the aim and the responsibility even to see each other grow. So Father, we ask that you'll be people that inspire us to do that. Please help us to walk in step with the Spirit. We ask that we'll grow into likeness of Christ, that new people will come to faith. And as they do, we will just sing your praise, sing your glory, And we will be ambassadors for Jesus for all of our days until Jesus returns. And may you always be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.